Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Joseph E. Green. He was just on my show. We did a great show. Very well received by my audience about all of the things that happened around Jonestown. There's a lot, lot more to that story. So please do go back and check out that story. It was last month, but he's been on my show before. We covered two of his books. One is Tinfoil Hat Not Included. And then the other one is a two-volume dissenting views. I highly recommend those as well. So people do check those out. But today, he kind of was telling me about Chappaquiddick. I always thought that there was something more to the story. I remember seeing pictures of the accident, and the car is not in very deep water. And it just, something just didn't add up to the cover story. And I knew that it ruined Ted Kennedy's career. And we know that Robert F. Kennedy's in the news a lot these days running for president. But I think it's uh, an interesting story of about somebody getting involved, dying, and uh, kind of a cover-up. But Joe is going to talk more about that. So Joe, Joseph E. Green, welcome back to the show. Hey, glad to be back, William. How's it going? Doing well. So I'm glad to have you back. Definitely my guests are totally interested in everything you've had to say so far on my podcast. Can you maybe just do an overview? And yeah, I know you've written so many books and uh, pamphlets and zines. Maybe you yeah. can talk about that and then what led you up to your interest in this story about Chapter yeah, so I've written um, a few books uh, on these on various topics. Um, always more than just the Kennedy assassination, although I've been I've written a lot about the Kennedy assassination. Um, but my first couple of books are both compilations of articles that I wrote about all kinds of stuff. Um, I've always been interested in the Chappaquiddick incident, and that interest was largely sparked by a guy named Robert Cutler. He was a researcher that I never met. And a lot of what I try to do in like a lot of, uh, almost all of my work is I'm always doing these callbacks to researchers that people may not be familiar with. And a lot of people are not familiar with Robert Cutler, uh, who was a fascinating guy, just absolutely fascinating. He was a, he was a draftsman and he did these incredible um, drawings of like a Dealey Plaza and all these different, I mean, he's just millions of them. And um, it, in, in Waco, Texas, uh, which is pretty near to where I am in San Antonio, there's a Baylor University, which is a Baptist university, and they have a huge R.B. Cutler collection. So they have a collection of like his hand-drawn materials. This guy also used to do his own books. He would make them physically. Um, so like here's one example. I have one here, this one on Chappaquiddick. Cutler did a lot of work on Chappaquiddick. He lived in the area. Um, he was he was from that that region, and um, so a lot of this stuff is absolutely fascinating. And I reproduce some of the drawings that he made. Um, yeah, let me pull that back up. Let's see if we can do this. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, if you can see, there we go. Yeah. So like. Oh wow. Oops. Yeah. So he does. There we go. He does drawings like this all through the material. And so, and these things are incredibly difficult to get a hold of because he might make a hundred copies, you know, he might have made 200. And they're, so it's not even, they were never really, to say that they're out of print, it's like they were never printed by a major publisher. They were always printed by himself doing these, these things. And um, so they're really hard to get a hold of. And so I did my zine. Um, which is for microcosm publishing. I've done a few zines for them over the years on different topics. And this one is, is one of these things that um, not as many people are, are as are aware, I guess, of Chappaquiddick, like fewer people are aware of it than say the major assassinations of the sixties. And a lot of people have a built in the, if they were familiar with it, they go, Oh yeah, it's that time that Ted Kennedy, like, you know, killed that Catholic girl or, he was drunk and he did that. He was trying to have sex with this Catholic girl and she died. Um, that's what people sort of their knee jerk remembrances are. And, um, and it's not completely the media's fault in this case um, because Teddy's reaction was really bad. And one of the things that's going on in Chappaquiddick, one of the things that makes it so muddy is that um, I think that you have one conspiracy which is to get rid of Teddy Kennedy as a viable candidate. 
But also when Teddy realizes what has happened, he then institutes a cover up to try and save his political career. So it's like there's a double cover up. There's the major media cover up. And then there's also the one that Teddy himself started because he tells blatant lies to the judge. Um, and the judge is aware that that Teddy's lying to him. Um, yeah. And and it's it's because of the way this whole thing comes out. So um, maybe chapter- we could just go like what was the, the, the basic events? What was supposed to have happened? It's on yeah. Martha's Vineyard, right? It's on Martha's Vineyard. It's on the, the uh, Chappaquiddick, which means uh, separate island, if I remember right. It's a, it's a, uh, a native word. And um, they were having, basically, they were having a party. They were having, you know, uh, it was Teddy Kennedy, a couple of his lawyer friends, uh, and what they called the Boiler Room Girls. The Boiler Room Girls were these women who had been attached to um, Kennedy's campaign. Uh, particularly Bobby Kennedy's campaign in particular. And one uh, went all the way back to, to Jack Kennedy. In fact, uh, they were all young women, like in their mid twenties, um, very smart, very um, competent uh, women who went on, except for one, Mary Jo Kopechny, the the woman who died, they all went on to have pretty successful careers um, other, other than Mary Jo. And the things that we know happened are pretty slim because there's arguments about almost every detail of this thing. But what happened was is that one night, uh, this is July 18th, 1969, the same weekend that the moon landing happened. In fact, <laughs> Kennedy's car is flipping probably right about the same time that uh, the Apollo is entering the moon's gravity allegedly um so that is the same thing so there late at night at about 11 30 at night um ted kennedy offers a ride to mary joe away from this place where they've been having a party back home okay um but for some reason he takes a route that is not to the home but instead he ends up taking a right on this place called Dyke bridge and um, somewhere we don't know exactly when, but somewhere midnight ish there, there are arguments about every, like I say, every part of this is a dispute and there's a reason it's because there's different things going on. And I don't, I don't have time to get into every single little detail, but as far as we know, the thing that did happen for sure is that the car ended up, in the water upside down in about roughly eight feet of water. Right. So it one thing is that deep. No, it was not that deep. It has a very strong tide. It's very strong. Um, and the water does go in and go out. And so that, that eight feet is more like an average, you know, sometimes it's a little more, sometimes a little less depending on how the water is going. Okay. Um, Teddy and Mary Jo Kopechny were in. Oh, that's so perfect. That is actually the article. Teddy escapes blonde drowns. I was that's I actually quoted this in my zine because um, it completely disregards Mary Jo Kopechny's like existence. It's Teddy escapes blonde drowns. It's such a horrible headline. Anyway, um, but yes, that's that's. That's exactly the type of news coverage it's got. Um, and there, there's a real question because um, that cra- the crash that occurs was not reported for about eight hours. It was not reported till about eight in the morning the next day. Um, and when they, the authorities got to the car, um, they found Mary Jo Kopechny's body in the back seat of the car. This is another disputed issue because Ted Kennedy says she was in the front. She ends up in the back. And also the car is inverted in the water and there's an air pocket inside the car. 
And one of the strange things that happened is when they find when they didn't they they had a medical examiner that examined the body, but there was not a full autopsy. Um, there was a lot of like strange shenanigans going on with all of this. Okay. Um, but Mary Jo Capagni did not drown. She suffocated. She also had a little bit of blood froth in her mouth. And there was a little bit of blood on her back. Where that came from, we don't know. But the ME determined that she was not a drowning victim. So she could. what could have happened is she could have, because you've got an air pocket, if you're in the air pocket long enough, you will run out of air, right? You're just you're going to be breathing carbon monoxide, uh, carbon dioxide rather. Um, and so you can actually suffocate that way, which is, it's bizarre, but it could have happened. Um, it's a little bit strange because Mary Jo Kopechny did not drink allegedly. So she would not have been drunk. So how was she unconscious? What, how did this happen? We don't, again, we don't know. Um, the car, the, Police said that the car was traveling 20 miles an hour when it flipped. That's a little odd. Um, Cutler himself got a accident reconstructionist to, and the, the problem is he did this much later. So he had to kind of guess, you know, all the information that he had available, but he wasn't there on the scene. He didn't see the car, et cetera. And he thought that the car had to have been going at least 40 miles an hour for it to flip the way it did. The, there's a rub rail along this uh, this uh, dike road that he was going on, and the car apparently hit the rub rail and flipped into the water. But it would have to have been going faster than 20 miles an hour. So this is another disputed point in all this. All right. There are several very strange things about all of this, even <laughs> just going with, with this. Let's say that this is what happened. Okay. So um, one of the strangest things is that the next morning, um, Ted Kennedy had conversations with several people early in the morning before 8 a.m. And those people reported that Ted seemed in very good spirits, wow. that he was saying, oh, good morning. Hey, how's it going? Like, like as if he had did not have a care in the world, like it just, you know. Wow. And then at a certain point. He has a meeting um, with a couple of his attorneys, uh, Gargan and um, I don't remember the other one's name. It was like a Cutler too. Like he had a funny name like that, if I remember. Yeah, yeah it's it's uh, it's, Gar it's Gargan and somebody. It's in my Z. But anyway, he's these two lawyers. They're Kennedy's lawyers, and one the person who one of the people who had talked to Kennedy that morning, after seeing him after he met with those lawyers he later speculated that maybe Kennedy was getting the news about Mary Jo Kopechny at that moment because his demeanor completely changed after that. How that's possible. We'll kind of go along with that, but this is, this is what happened. This is what happened. Somebody saw this. Um, and I, again, his name's in there too. It's one of, one of his friends. So, and then all of a sudden everything changes. Uh, they reported to the police. And when, Kennedy goes before a judge. He tells this story. What he says is that uh, they were going out driving and he flipped the car. He took a wrong turn, got disoriented, flipped the car, uh, tried to get Mary Jo out of the car and could not. After trying and trying and trying to get her out of the car, he swam out and went to go get help. And he got those two lawyers who then proceeded to do like a diving expedition. They're both going in to try and get Mary Jo, and they do this for hours. Obviously, this story makes no sense whatsoever. Let's assume for the moment that that happened. Uh, Ted decides, I'm going to get my lawyers to try and get help to Mary Jo Kopechny. <laughs> It doesn't make sense. And like Not, I think one of them was like the Kennedy family conciliary or something. Yes. It wasn't just a lawyer. It was he like wasn't a just – he was a family. Yeah. So – but think about this. And, and I 
I think like a lawyer. I've worked for lawyers. I, I've done litigation. Okay, so uh, you go to the family lawyer and you say, I need you to help get a, a lady out of a car. She may be dead. And I need you to come swim in the water. Like, lawyer's going to be like, you're out of your mind. Like for him too. Because right, he's got for the liability. lawyer too. The exposure yes. for the lawyer. Wow. Yeah. Right. This is what I'm saying. It's like and they're usually now, hyper paranoid about anything that could affect their uh, license or their reputation. Like super right. Sensitive. He's dead. Like te- yeah. he's got. He's gonna go, Teddy. We got to call the police. Yeah. Like regardless of what. Like I don't know what happened. You know. Don't tell me. <laughs> but. You know, you got drunk, you fooled around with this girl, whatever, or it was a total accident, whatever it was, we have to call the authorities now. Right. I simply do not believe that a lawyer, A, would help, um, that Ted would ask his lawyer to help in this way. Like, he's not, you know, a scuba diver. Like, what... Let's it's, go it's out at 2 a.m., guys. Let's go find it. Let's go out and do Yes. It's the and worst it cover it's, story ever. It's the it's worst cover, formulated cover story in world history. It doesn't make And sense. when the judge... Maybe the, maybe the Kennedy assassination is worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it's not good. And not good, the, the judge asks um, Ted to... Yes, he said... And I'm just going to quote it here, okay? So the judge says... And now may I ask you, Mr. Kennedy, was there any reason why no additional assistance was asked for? And Teddy says, was there any reason? Not a good answer. The judge, yes. Was there any particular reason why you did not call either the police or the fire department? And Teddy says, well, I intended to report it to the police. And the judge says, that is not quite responsive to the question. The judge knows he's lying. The judge is like very sharp. He's sharp. Like the, the, some of those things, yeah. And But what actually happened? We don't know, right? right? So is it possible that this is what uh, Leo Demore's famous book, Senatorial Privilege, which is a total hatchet job, right? Uh, they just made a movie. Well, not just, but five years ago, maybe in the last five years, they made a Chappaquiddick movie that essentially says you know, Teddy was this terrible guy and the Kennedys covered this thing up. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's true. Um, but I think there's kind of a missing context to that story. And to get into that particular context, you have to, yeah, that's the one I would, I had to read it. I don't recommend you do. And when I was working on this particular thing, right. So I'm reading Cutler, but I also was looking at, a whole bu- I had to read a whole bunch of other books to write this zine. And uh, I read E. Howard Hunt's memoirs, G. Gordon Liddy's memoirs, uh, the Haldeman Diaries. And the reason why I'm doing all this is because the story of the 60s in many ways, right, is the story of the elimination of the Kennedys and the replacement of the Kennedys with Richard Nixon in 1968. Right. So Nixon loses to Kennedy in 1960. Nixon believes, whether it's true or not, that the Kennedys stole the election uh, with the help of, you know, Chicago and the mob, Texas, West Virginia, yeah. yeah, West Virginia. Right. So whether that, again, whether that's true or not, that's what that's what Nixon believed. Right. Um, Kennedy is killed in 63. Lyndon Johnson comes in. Uh, gets us into the Vietnam War in a big way. And in 68, Johnson's not running. Nixon's running. And Nixon finds that there's another Kennedy in his way all of a sudden. Bobby Kennedy enters into the race very late. And the night that Bobby Kennedy wins the California primary, he is murdered by allegedly... Sirhan Sirhan. Yeah, it was not Sirhan Sirhan. I would say for 100% in my 100%, right. 100% Sirhan Sirhan did not do it. No. Um, But I've done a couple other shows on that with very credible authors. People can check that out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, A lot more to that story as well. Oh, for sure. And during that time, and, and I think this is another thing that's not terribly well understood, 
is that in 68, the Democratic ticket ends up being Edmund Muskie and Hubert Humphrey, right? And we tend to think of that as being a disaster. Um, but another gentleman, <laughs> George Wallace, also ran as a Democrat, although these days he would be a sort of Trump Republican, I would think. But in those times, he was, he was a Democrat. Um, his running mate was Curtis LeMay. Wow, right. incredible. Incredible. Yes, the character yeah. of the Democratic Party has changed immensely in 50 years. It's like <laughs> it, it still says Democrat, but all the people inside are totally different. So. I totally do. Yes, that's very <clears throat> true. Um, so, um, so what happens to George Wallace? George Wallace is a serious threat to Nixon. He is shot by Arthur Bremer which is another one of these crazy assassinations. Yeah, you can't uh, make up Bremer, too. <laughs> no. Do you know that he worked in California, like right near where Syria and Syrian worked? Like yes. You cannot make that up. You can, and, you and it goes into... It right. All, yeah. all you have to do is start matching these guys up, and they, they fall right into place. Bremer's traveling all over the place. He's on a bus. He's got money. He's staying in a fancy hotel sometimes. Dude, it's... Um, it's uh, MLK right off the bat. It's the same yeah. weird stuff. It, same weird stuff. And yeah. the other thing you talked also, about MLK's mom too, which uh, people should really research again. Yeah, that's what, in that's light of new information. Sorry. No, 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 no. That's a that's a definitely a good point. Um, but the reason I, I bring it up is because um, Arthur Bremer had a diary, and one of my favorite moments in all of the Watergate tapes, and, and you have to read these things. If you're going to do research, you have to look because there's so much gold in those Watergate tapes. It's amazing because you don't necessarily know what they're talking about. But as soon as you figure out what they're talking about, and they're like, oh, crap, that's what they mean. And there's a lot of that in this case. A lot of code so, words, right? A lot the, of little code the words. And the little, Bay of Pigs thing. Bay right? of Pigs yeah. thing, right? Yeah, that's what Haldeman said, right? The whole Bay of Pigs thing. Well, um, Nixon is talking to Chuck Colson and Nixon says, is there any way we could get some like black Panther or leftist literature inside Bremer's apartment? And Chuck Colson says, Oh yeah, yeah. We, we try to do that. Sure. Sure. It's like, (laughs) that's an amazing, amazing. One of the most, sorry to interrupt. I just got to add this color commentary. One of the most amazing DC statements ever made was by Chuck Colson. Who put a plaque up on the wall for people who don't know that said, "Grab them by the balls, and their hearts and minds will and their fall." Their hearts and minds will fall. And that was before he became kind of a uh, evangelical Christian. But yeah, he was a yeah. guy. He was a fixer too. Yeah, Colson got into that after jail. He got Jesus in jail. He got Jesus in jail. So. Um, yeah, in fact, uh, there's a personal story I could tell, but I'm not going to. Um, with Colson. But anyway, I, I love that. People can email you for the personal yeah, story. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but uh, but anyway, so Colson, yeah, so Colson says, yeah, we can do that. And so Bremer's diaries eventually published. This is the guy who shot George Wallace, okay, and is also often said to be the um, the model for Travis Bickle in Taxi Driver. That's you know you'd have to ask Paul Schrader, but that is allegedly one of the models is is Arthur Bremer. Didn't Bremer so, shoot the pornography guy too? He wasn't. Uh, no, he didn't shoot the hustler. The uh, yeah, hustler guy. No, that was a different different thing. If I'm if I'm right, but anyway, um, Bremer had written this diary. The diary gets published, and Gore Vidal comes out publicly and says, "I read Arthur Bremer's diary," and that's not Arthur Bremer who wrote that. That's E. Howard Hunt. Because E. Howard Hunt wrote spy novels. And this is another one of those things. Like it's a whole, there's a whole thing, another there, show. Yeah. a whole another show that you could do about spies that write novels, um, because they a lot of them did it, and sometimes under assumed names, sometimes not. And I think the tradition is started by the fact that Ian Fleming is the guy who wrote the CIA's charter, and but of course most people don't know that. They know that he wrote all the James Bond novels, and. Since then, I feel like that has been um, something that spies do sometimes. They like to write these these novels. He's written well, 20 or 25 novels. He's a very prolific author. Very prolific, under yes. Under different names. David St. 
Hubbins or something. That was the Almost main like one. Yeah, David, yeah. something like David that. Yeah, the, the spinal tap guy. I forgot, yeah. But he had yeah. three or four different names. Some heavily-duty occult, too. Heavy-duty. Yeah. And Dulles yeah. was trying to make him the American Ian Fleming. Yeah. Well, and, and Hunt, as I've observed at other places, is like a bad penny. Like, he pops up all yeah. the time. And another place that he pops up is Chappaquiddick. So <laughs> he was given a costume and a like voice filter thing and by the CIA, which he says, this is, they gave me this stuff to use in my investigation of Chappaquiddick. <laughs> right. It's not believable. Some of it's, this stuff is not believable. It's really but Hunt says it. Like he and he was there. Wow, it's incredible. And then further, let's let's go down. I, I need to uh, actually break out my zine here for a second because I need to quote some things. Okay, so um, Nixon, remember, has Ehrlichman, he has Holdeman, John Dean. You can never forget about John Dean. Um, and these guys were constantly. In the room, they're always when they're when he's talking strategy, it's typically with these guys. These guys are in the room. Okay. So this is a conversation that happens like four years later. Um, this is in March of 73, and, and Dean is kind of musing about Chappaquiddick. All right. So let me just read this. So John Dean says, uh, right after Chappaquiddick, somebody was put up there to start observing within six hours. And Nixon says, did we? And Dean says, yeah, that's right. And Nixon says, I didn't know that. And, of course, with Nixon, you never know. Is he talking because he knows you're being taped? Or is that an honest response? I don't know. Um, Dean goes on. The man watched that. He was there for every second of Chappaquiddick for a year. And almost two years he worked for he worked for Jack Caulfield, who was originally on John's staff. Um, he was originally on John Ehrlichman's staff, as who he's referring to. Okay. And so <laughs> Dean starts then talking about well, if they get to those bank records between it starts in July of 69 through June of 71, and they say, What are these about? Who is this fellow that's up in New York that you paid? There comes Chappaquiddick with a vengeance. I'm still quoting John Dean. This guy is a 20-year detective on the New York State, New York City Police Department. Nixon says, in other words, we, and Dean says, he is ready to disprove and show that everything from, and Nixon interrupts him and says, we don't consider that wrong. And Dean then says, well, if they get to it, it's going to come out, and the whole thing is going to turn around on this one. I mean, if Kennedy knew the bear trap he was walking into. Wow. And that's where it cuts off. Wow. So either the conversation, like they either said, cool it, and they turned the tape off, or they went outside or something. Right. That's really profound. Wow. If and his, Kennedy, his wife was pregnant, right? The Kennedys were not very loyal to their, not monogamous, I guess is probably the thing. So they probably knew his habits and stuff, right? I, it reminds me of, yeah, it reminds me of The Godfather, right? Godfather 2, where they blackmailed the senator. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's what, when you get into all this stuff um, and you look at all this, that's exactly the way I look at everything is uh, these are all kind of gangsters and they're doing a bunch of gangster stuff and they're covering for themselves. They're like, okay, we can do this. We can do that. It's like what Henry Kissinger said, you know, that uh, the, uh, the illegal we do immediately, the unconstitutional, that might take a minute, but basically there are no limits. Like when we're trying to get something done. And the, the 60s was just full of intrigue upon intrigue upon intrigue. Everything. Exactly. They hated the, they hated the Kennedys until the present day. Even no, Robert Kennedy Jr., they recently had like the lights go out on one of his interviews. He freaked out because he knows his family's past. That's, Some of these guys are still around, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and Bobby Kennedy Jr. knows more than anybody how dangerous it is what the hell he's doing. Right. I mean, they used to think like you can you can argue about whether you like Bobby Jr. or whatever. Um, but he is trying to talk about real things and he is facing real danger. Yes, no doubt. 
I, I mean, <laughs> there, there, like there are so many entrenched people who'd be afraid of him, just like they were afraid of Bobby Kennedy. They could For never sure. let that guy into power. They just couldn't. No. No, and I think that's that's exactly right. And I think that's the the theory that's sort of put forward in uh, the film Executive Action, which is the the first uh, JFK assassination movie with Burt Lancaster and Will Greer. Um, that's basically what they say is like they they're they're laying it out to this guy, and he's like, "Look, if Jack Kennedy, we allow him to continue, uh, he's going to be president from sixty to sixty eight. In sixty eight, you got Bobby, right?" And then 76, you're going to have Teddy Kennedy. This is this is what you got. I mean, you're, you got Kennedy's out your ears and we're not going to get our war. We're not going to, you know, all this all this money that could be made is not going to be made. Right? Right. So it's and, like, and also the culpability, too. Like, they're going to get guys who are like, this is family members. They yes. thought it out. Yes. The right thought it out or whatever you want to call it. Like, I don't know. But, you know, it's like. Well, and so here's, so here's the other thing I wanted to point out is that there's a Tony that John Dean mentions in that particular conversation. And that Tony is a guy named Tony Yulasevich. And Tony Yulasevich is one of those guys that's been kind of forgotten in history, I guess. But he, he's the cop that Dean is talking about that's been on the payroll for umpteen years. He's the first guy to arrive at Chappaquiddick within six hours of the event. He's there investigating Chappaquiddick. And there's another famous conversation on the Watergate tapes that happens a couple of days before this conversation, um, which is the conversation in which Dean tells Nixon that E. Howard Hunt is in jail, right? E. Howard, e. Howard Hunt was put in jail because he and a bunch of uh, anti-Castro Cubans broke into the Watergate Hotel, right? All of E. He Howard did a Hunt's sloppy guy, job. For a, very sloppy. For a trained and spy. Very perhaps, really strangely sloppy. Yeah. Well, deliberately sloppy, perhaps. That's a that's another whole that's another story, show. Right? That's another zine. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. Um, but Hunt is, you know, all his Bay of Pigs guys, right? Hunt tells um, John Dean, or he gets the word, that um, he won't talk, but he wants a million dollars. And Nixon famously says, I know where, where, where we can get that. Like, Nixon doesn't say, oh, my God. Nixon doesn't say, oh, that's terrible. Oh, you know, what? how is this crazy guy going to get a million dollars from me? He says, I know where we can get the money. Like he's what done does, it before. Like, <laughs> like this, he, knows, he knows where the money's coming from. Yeah. How does Hunt know that he can get this money from the president? Right? Okay. Uh, the guy that is the bag man. Hunt gets the money, by the way. Hunt receives $219,000 as an initial payment. The guy who brings the money to him is Tony Ulasevich, the same guy who was the first guy at uh, Chappaquiddick. The other context, the other thing that I have, thing that you have to look at, I think, is that if you're looking at it in terms of we're trying to get the Kennedys out of politics, I don't think you could ignore the fact that Kennedy had had a major, major plane crash. And Ted, Ted Kennedy's, that plane crash that he was in um, was March 19th, 1964, I believe it is. That is to say the day that the Civil Rights Act passed. Hmm. Ted had been in Massachusetts. He signed some paperwork. He's flying. And that plane goes down and people died. Uh, Ted broke his back. Um, there's a whole uh, issue of Life magazine that I have that shows uh, Teddy rehabilitating from his back. He's in a swimming pool and he's got. Um, so that's a very. And it, and it happened on the day that the Civil Rights Act passed. So it's a very significant day politically in addition to everything else. Does that look like a potential assassination attempt in this context? Absolutely. Maybe. I, mean, I, I, I would say so. And then I pointed out that there was another weird attempt in 1978 or 79. It's in my zine. A woman named Susan Osgood was uh, visiting and suddenly pulled out a knife and started screaming and trying to attack Ted Kennedy. And Secret Service guys got onto, got onto her, rather. Wow. And when you look at Suzanne 
Osgood, same thing. She had cash. She'd been traveling. She'd been on a bus. Wow. She was staying in a hotel. I mean, it just like, wow. here we go again. And Why Susan Osgood had gone to school with one of the other boiler room girls. Wow. Which is also very interesting. Wow. Yeah. And those boiler, I've been in D.C. for three years. Those girls are around those kind of preppy, prim and proper, politically astute, usually from upper middle class families. Yes. Uh, yes. There's, they're, they're all around George, Georgetown and stuff. I used to see them all the time. But when I, I was 25, 28, so I was right in that network. Yeah. Was, uh, no, I wasn't. I was never uh, from like Nebraska, but I was never, I, <laughs> I observed from a distance. I was not part of any of that stuff. Right. But they're but they're very visible and very um, they like you say there's a pattern to that. Yes. Yeah. Um, so here's a uh, here's here's another one of Cutler's drawings. If I can get it on here, he did all this great stuff. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah, where he he's he's a, like you say the guy is brilliant. Um, and uh, it, it, it's it's hard to explain because I've actually held the drawings in my hands, so it's incredible. Um, oh. He did all kinds of crazy stuff. He gave Gordon Novell a lie detector test. Who's Gordon Novell? I don't know who that is. Ooh, Gordon Novell is a very important character in the um, Kennedy assassination. He turns up around the time of the Garrison investigation, and he he's not easy to summarize. He there, You could do a whole show on Gordon Novell. Gordon Novell is like this guy who he clearly has contacts. He clearly knows things. Who he's working for at any given moment is a mystery, and he appears to be trying to sandbag the garrison investigation, among other things. But he's another guy that pops up over and over again. He starts coming all through the seventies. Um, and Color was one of the guys it was on to. But um, anyway, so the, the, there's a there's like I say, there's a lot of really really interesting stuff, and there's even more interesting stuff that has to do with. Uh, Mary Jo Kopechny herself, right? So Mary Jo Kopechny had been uh, Bobby Kennedy's secretary, right? Oh, wow. And there's a picture this, here of them together. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Um, and she had roomed with, for a time, a woman named Nancy Carol Tyler. Nancy Carol Tyler was the secretary of a Florida congressman named George Smathers. All right. Nancy Carol uh, Tyler was also a mistress and a secretary of Bobby Baker. Oh, wow. And if you don't know who Bobby Baker is, he was um, Lyndon Johnson's hatchet man. Uh, for bag a lot man, of too, right? His bag bag man. man, yeah. Oh. I mean, uh, Bobby Brown did a lot of, again, that's a whole other thing, that he did a lot of criminal stuff. And some of the criminal stuff that he did was for Lyndon Johnson. Okay, so this guy, George Smathers, was also a very good friend of Richard Nixon and Bebe Rebozo. Bebe Rebozo is a banking friend of, of Nixon that pops up over and over again, also in the whole Watergate thing, uh, when they're talking about the money. Smathers, again, he was a Democrat, but he was a bull weevil Democrat. In other words, he was a Southern Democrat who did not like black people, okay, hated the civil rights movement. The, the Southern strategy, the thing that turned all of these formerly uh, what used to be Democrats into Republicans was basically the civil rights movement, um, the folks who didn't like it. And he had done a lot of the same kind of stuff that Nixon was doing because Nixon had employed all these guys. Uh, and can, can I swear on this? I don't know if I can. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, the rat fuckers, right? Right. right. Wasn't it Smirsh or something like that? Uh, Donald Segretti. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Roy Cohn. Roy Cohn's like the the godmother to all these guys. Um, Even coming all the way to now, like guys like. No, it's not. Sorry, I misspoke. It's not Smirsh, but Creep, right? Committee to reelect the president. So they had these kind of weird groups of. And, but those guys were called, like Segretti was a college guy that they had recruited to write um, the Canuck letter, the thing that, that where Edmund Muskie started crying and lost, he lost all credibility. So they would do a lot of dirty tricks type stuff. Okay. Smathers was doing all the president's men. So you yeah. can see one yeah. of the initial interviews is the guy playing Segretti. The guy playing Segretti. Yeah. He actually yeah. appears in it. Um, so <laughs> he also had 
uh, money in the Batista regime and had interest in that much the same way the FBI did that Hoover and Nixon, these were all, they were those guys. When Castro took over Cuba, it was a disaster for organized crime and the FBI and Richard Nixon and all these other people. Right. Um, which is crazy, but it's true. And, um, so the, the, uh, John Mitchell, the attorney general to, to Richard Nixon had approved a plan to do surveillance operations against the Democrats beginning in March, 1972. And these using E Howard hunt, and these had been booked by a guy, George Smathers brother, a guy named Frank Smothers jr. So in other words, and this is, and I'm not the first person to observe this actually in um, high treason, which is a, book written about the Kennedy assassination by Bob Grodin and Harrison Livingstone in high treason. They also mention that there's this connection with Mary Jo Compagni and Nancy Tyler. So that the, the suggestion being that perhaps she's been a mole wow. in the Kennedy operation. We don't know wow. but this is something that was thrown out and there are interesting connections in that regard. I can't say for sure. And I hate to, to bring this stuff up because you know, Peckney can't answer for anything. It's, she was a victim in all this. Um, but was there something like that happening? It's very possible. Very and possible. I, but she, and, it shows that she was networked. She wasn't just some kind of like, uh, you know, girlfriend or something, somebody they just brought in. She was part of this whole political network and stuff like that. No, and as far as anybody was, she was a good Catholic. She was very, you know, like I say, she didn't drink. She didn't, she didn't seem like, that is to say, the kind of girl that would run off with Ted Kennedy necessarily, you know, just to, for sex, you know, who the hell knows, right? Obviously Teddy, you know, he had all kinds of things uh, going on, you know, as, and in fact, Gore Vidal said this, that, uh, that the best politician of the Kennedy brothers was Teddy. Interesting. Cause Teddy liked it. Like, you know, Jack could do it because he had to, Bobby hated it until he grew to sort of embrace it in the last year of his life. Uh, but Teddy was sort of a born politician. Like he knew how to talk to people and he liked being with people and doing the kind of politician things that you have to do, which made him very effective in Massachusetts for decades. Um, but he also this, had lots and lots of stories about his parties and everything else. Tons of drinking stories about his bad driving. Yeah. So he'd already established he was a bad driver at the university of Virginia when he was at law school. He liked yeah. the cops and did not very smart, yeah. And so did, but did he? So I'll tell you what Robert Cutler thought. Robert Cutler thought that um, Kennedy had basically that they had both been knocked out essentially, and that somebody else was driving the car. Whoever had done this to them, and he points to the fact that in the right mastoid, uh, Kennedy did have a big bump, and Cutler says that's where you would hit somebody if you had a blackjack or something to knock them out. I'm pretty dubious about that because it's pretty hard. You, if you were going to knock somebody out, you would use, you know, second all or something. Trying to knock somebody out, you know, with a club or a blackjack, it's pretty hard. Um, yeah, you you got to hit them really hard. You got to hit them with like like crowbar or something like that, like, and yeah, not really. kill them, you know, right. or not give them brain damage. Like in the movie, you know, like Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, they would be having seizures by episode two or three. Right, you can see knocked out all the time, but then you know, or Batman or somebody, you can't have that many concussions. Like you, you you'll be dead. Um, so I, I'm not sure about that. I mean, it's interesting that he has this this injury, but you know, that could have been that could also happen in the flip. And and I'm not really looking necessarily to absolve Teddy Kennedy of you know whatever he may have done, um, but I am looking at what happened in the context of everything else. It looks like they're trying to get rid of him. And in yeah. fact, Chappaquiddick does ruin his presidential ambitions forever. Forever. It was done. Mm -hmm. And just his excuses, he went on TV. He just kept sinking himself and it just didn't add up. Yes. And the story doesn't add up. It doesn't, I don't think it even adds up to him because he didn't even report it missing. It was right. some like both men and his 15 year old kids say, Hey, there's a, there's a freaking yeah. car over here. You know, at eight five, and then they come out and they're like, "Hey, we found a body. Whose is this?" And they're like, "Ted Kennedy's at ten twenty-two. Well, I guess yeah. it's mine." 
Like it was so strange. It like, was his weird. Behavior is really strange. Why did he do all that? And and like I say, that first day, if you if you can imagine that if he was not aware, like he was either drugged or what, which there is some evidence for that because, like I say, I think it would be very difficult to have a night that he says he had and then be chipper the next morning talking to your buddy like nothing happened. And the thing that uh, I think his name was Ross, his friend, um, he says that he was like he literally didn't have a care in the world. Like it was just, you know, ooh, smell that air. Isn't it a beautiful morning? Like, <clears throat> I don't know, man. Um, and it if doesn't you imagine- add up. It's a. It's a perfect place to commit a crime is on Martha's Vineyard. It's it's self-contained. Yep. There's not that many people around that area. Nobody saw anything, right? Because it's no like well, if there you was wanted a, to Yeah. There was a deputy that saw some things that are um uh Deputy Locke, I think his name was. But timing wise, trying to make that all fit together is very difficult. And Cutler Cutler puts an effort into trying to do it, but I don't know. Um and, like and the, even why they're driving out there, what's going on? It's yeah, what did they so do? Because, like, like I say, they're not driving home. Like he must have gotten totally confused because the place that they go to is nowhere near where they're supposed to be going. It's a rural so, part of the island. It's like there's no people around, so it's a perfect place. Like Chappaquiddick is all gardens and walking wildlife mm-hmm. areas. It's the perfect place if you wanted to commit a crime. Perfect place. Yes. Just or if you wanted there. to commit a crime against someone. And that's right. that's the part that I'm trying to parse is like, um, is this something that was done to Ted Kennedy or was this something that he did? Right. Right. And the interpretation since the very first day has always been, oh, this is Ted Kennedy and he did this whole horrible thing and aren't the Kennedys horrible, blah, blah, blah. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, I don't know, man, because there are some serious gangsters that are looking to put him out of business and they're in the white house yeah. and they're not very discreet. Like they they talk, like I say, explain John Dean's that one statement. If Kennedy knew he was walking into a bear trap, bear traps are set for bears. Like they're not accident. And these guys were running operations. They're running operations out of the white house. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Absolutely. You don't know fully what's going on, but they're doing ops. And so, if they have these teams and secret hush money and all that stuff, they can put in a, a group to follow Kennedy around. They know his behavior. He's rumored to always been a womanizer, right? So, like, where's his weak spot? Where's yeah. his weak spot? Women. That's what we have. It's not drugs. And- it's not, like, bribery. He has money. So we know he's got a woman. They thought it through. He's got a woman. Let's get him with a woman and do something bad. Like, yeah. And wreck, and wreck him that one. They use the no same sense. guys. I mean, E. Howard Hunt... <laughs> Goes back to the Bay of Pigs. There's still he's got connections to the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, no, he was a heavy operator. He knew those guys at the Bay of Pigs. He wasn't some kind of like uh, intellectual. He was a he was like an operations guy. So he's yeah. on the ground. There's pictures of E. Howard Hunt with like two or three hundred anti-Castro Cubans. So he this is a personal thing for him. Those are his when guys. That went wrong. It was like, dude, he's angry. And, well, and when yeah. he's interviewed about, you know, by the court about Watergate and he talks about the guys that that helped him do Watergate, he says he hadn't talked to them for, you know, 10 years, uh, but he was able to get them all within 15 minutes. Because these are professionals. There's his stay behind units. Those are his guys. And he says, we got this new job to do and they go do it. You know, they're going to. And for a lot of people who don't know, those anti-Castro Cubans were doing all kinds of crimes to support themselves and. They were around. I, I did a really good interview with a, a book author. The title of the book is The Ghosts of Sheridan Circle, where they were enlisted to kill one of the guys involved in the Chilean government. There you go. Let, yeah. let the, really the only bombing in Washington, D.C. history done by anti Castro Cubans. So they yeah. were highly motivated, angry, oh, there's, dispossessed. The John Lennon assassination, the doorman. Just happens to be <laughs> anti-Castro Cuban who was at the yeah. Bay of Pigs. Jose Perdomo, are you kidding me? Right. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Like, like if you if you've been doing this kind of work and you learn that, you go, oh geez. Yeah. At that point, Lenin has to be an op, right? That has to have been a thing because yeah. otherwise, oh. give me a break. His son said, "Do you know his son directly said I have a quote somewhere? I'm going to pull it out my research. But he says, if you think that the government wasn't involved.'" 
you're an idiot or something like that. Really? Like that's yeah. Yeah, not Julian. What's the other son? The uh, the other one. Yeah, um, I don't remember his name, but yes. Yeah. But yeah, he and literally he's, said, he's that like that's a direct. You can find that quote. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah. sad. It's so sad. I mean, the '60s and the '70s. Endless fascination. And yeah. endless. And it and it's so um and not to plug my, my zine again, but it it does have a lot of details that I just can't give you in forty five minutes. I mean, because this is it gets very complicated because you have to know who all the players are inside the Nixon White House and why they would be doing what they're doing. And I think most people also don't know about the fact that there were other um assassination attempts against Ted Kennedy. And so the, the idea that he's like a joke, like he's like, ah, he's just this guy. And like, I understand you might think that, but there were operators who did not think that they took him very seriously and they took him seriously as a presidential candidate so much so that he was one more person that they maybe would have to get rid of. I, I think it's completely plausible. No question. Considering what had happened already, it was just another one. It was like target Kennedy's. And but, uh, they're in the White House. They don't want to have a competitor like that. They don't. No, there's no. too much to risk. There we go. And Nixon yeah. has a personal interest, right? He feels and he's uh, he's upset. He's lost to one. He's kind of a little bit frumpy, uh, not as charismatic. So no, you know, you can see why that <laughs> would happen. Yeah. Just saying, Mike. Yeah, this story does not add up. The whole thing just doesn't, it doesn't add up. Like even the cover, like his attempted cover up doesn't add up. Yeah. It's bad. Yeah. He could have had somebody just take the fall for him. Like if they were like, okay, just get somebody her age and then, you know, pay him some yeah. money or something. I like mean, that. I, I guess it could have been a possibility if he, if he was willing to do that. Um, right. I mean, I, I think that he wasn't because it didn't happen. Um, but what he did do was, sell out to try and protect his legacy at least in Massachusetts so that he would be able to continue to work politically in Massachusetts if not and but there's no there's no question that he lied yeah. um, he may have lied because he didn't know what the hell actually happened and he was trying to invent a story um, but I don't believe that story at all like I said for for the reasons that I gave before you don't you don't get your lawyers to come help you try to get a body out of the water. Like that's insane. Yeah, and I don't think they sense. would do it. No, no way. Not those people of that caliber. They got to think about their careers too. They do. Like they're yeah. Probably like that. yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Joe, thanks for the talk. Great to talk with you again. Where can people find your zines and your books? I know. They yeah. Can um, you can go to Joe green, JFK. That's like the easiest thing to go. Um, but I'm also listed in microcosm publishing. If you, Go to Microcosm Publishing, and you put in my name. You'll find all my zines that I've done for them. Um, and, of course, I always rep the uh, Hidden History Center, Center for Deep Political Research. Uh, what else? Say Something Real Press. That's my little press that I put out stuff in. So, yeah. yeah. And the best place to reach out to you if people have further questions or want to hear um, Joe Green JK, there's a contact thing that you can send me notes, messages, and uh, I'll, I'll respond. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate hey. it. We just talked about there's more to the story of this Chappaquiddick incident. <laughs> yes. There's no doubt about it. So thank you Good so much. Good to talk. Thanks, man. Thanks.